Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. For those of you that are new here, the Breaching Extinction podcast explores the plight of the endangered southern resident killer whales through interviews with the people trying to save them. There are currently less than 80 southern resident killer whales left, and they are currently threatened by lack of prey, vessel noise, and water toxins. All these factors impact one another and play a significant role in their population decline. They have historically spent much of their time in the Salish Sea. However, they've been seen less and less likely forced out of their home by lack of prey as well as busy and toxic waters. I'm your host, Erica Worth, and I decided to start this podcast in 2019 after spending a summer working in the Salish Sea and learning about these animals. Each week, I dive into a new conversation with guests from varying perspectives. I approach these topics through an interdisciplinary lens in hopes of uncovering the intricacies of this complex issue. Through this, I hope to share insight as well as fit the puzzle pieces together needed to save this species. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in being featured on the podcast or sponsoring us, please reach out over Instagram at Breaching Extinction or send an email to info at breachingextinction.com. Thanks. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. This week, I have three members of the Co-Extinction film crew with me, Andrew Lubba, Nicholas Castle, and Tori Obermeyer. How's everybody doing? Good. Wonderful. Awesome. Um, I'm super excited to have you guys here, and I talk about your film, like, or, like, tell people to go watch it, I feel like, at least every episode, but it's not out yet. For a lot of people but I'm like go to the, one of the film festivals and go watch it uh, yeah um can you guys each give us a little bit of your background just so our listeners know who you are cool so yeah uh, I'm Nicholas uh I'm I'm calling myself a documentary filmmaker since around 2017 uh, a lot of my early work was in the high arctic in Canada and then uh Co-extinction was sort of my first uh, experience doing this kind of work on a, in the coast in BC. Uh, and I love what we do because I really think that we tell stories that are important. We tell stories that are timely and that are sort of, we don't really see often in, in your average, you know, sort of what you're streaming through Netflix or what you get on your news. We kind of, kind of dive, we dive deeper, but we give a bit of a nuanced approach to these sort of really complicated issues and really try to make it something beautiful and engaging. And that's, that's why I love storytelling. And I think we're all, you know, I could speak from the co-extinction team. We're trying to, trying to find ways to make that even more impactful. How do we take these stories beyond just the screen and then really bring them back into the community and to try to make change. So that's why I love what we do. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think you guys are really good at that for sure. Only having seen, you know, co-extinction so far. And I'm excited for whatever you guys come up with in the future as well. Andrew, do you want to introduce yourself next? Sure. I'm uh, Andrew, everyone. Nice to uh, have you all listening today. 
my background is in a bunch of different things, but most recently I was studying law and now I'm working in environmental law for a charity called EcoJustice. Um, so I'm very interested in environmental law and indigenous law and uh, interactions with uh, Canadian state and I guess also the U.S. state, but I don't know as much about the U.S. because I am Canadian. So um, yeah, I got into co-extinction at the start and it's been a wacky journey and I feel like now is when it's getting most exciting because now is when we can actually make some impact. So the focus of this last little bit and next years will be on impact and, and trying to actually push for solutions that, you know, aren't just thinking about the orca or the salmon or the environment, but are also bringing in issues of social justice and issues of indigenous sovereignty and uh, reclamation of the power that was stolen from them and the uh, institutions and territories that were destroyed by Western colonial society. So I'm looking forward to helping being part of that. And uh, that'll be the next couple of years. Amazing. We'd love to see it. Um, do you want to go next, Tori? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Tori. I am an environmental photojournalist. And I originally started working with like the Southern residents um, right after school. If you've listened to this podcast, you've probably heard about Soundwatch. So I interned for Soundwatch way back when, and that's when I first started um, getting involved with this community. And I think when I first heard about co-extinction, I was so excited for the opportunity to combine, uh, the experience I had with the whales and then also combine my background in storytelling. Um, so it's just been so incredible to be part of this team and to be able to learn so much more about this ecosystem and all of the very intense and interconnected systems that tie back into this specific ecotype of whale. So it's just been such an honor to work with all of these incredible people and work on this really, really important project. Absolutely. I think you guys are all awesome and doing a lot of work that needs to be done. And I like what Nicholas said at the beginning about like, this is not the typical thing that you're going to see on Netflix. It's like a lot more timely and addressing issues that I feel like majority of the time get ignored, especially the indigenous issues and social rights aspects of environmentalism. So I think that's super important. Um, so I'm curious, I know Gloria and Elena found each other through Soundwatch, right? And that's how they met and decided to make the film. How did the rest of you guys come onto the team and create the you know production team that you have now? I think we were all friends of friends sort of at first and we got brought on through our networks and you know it, it was initially through Elena and Gloria and Andrew and, and but then Tori knew Gloria and Elena knew you know Gloria through friends of friends but you know I think what really brought us all together was was this issue and was these whales at West and that was sort of the spark that we all were passionate about and and it was a it was quite a uh, a dire summer I remember in 2018 with a lot of with the death of uh, J35's calf and it was just sort of this global attention on this issue and I think a lot of people were looking for ways to get involved and that was the, the timing was really interesting with all of us in that way. Absolutely so what is it about the southern residents that 
made you so interested and how did the story evolve from you know learning about the whales to diving deep into indigenous issues anyone want to take a stab at that (laughs) um i mean i guess it's different for each of us but uh i mean i would say for me that if i'm being honest like it wasn't specifically the southern resident orcas that i care about i just generally care about environmental issues and animal issues and issues to do with other non-human life on our planet um and this was just a great opportunity to look at major problems that are happening that relate to a certain species that is in a really fragile state um, and try to make some positive change around that so i think what drew me in originally was probably more seeing how the story around the southern resident orcas um, could have a lot of really big impact that would affect a lot of different life including a lot of human life Um, and trying to look at this story and use it as a rallying cry for people to to get involved and to make these other changes that would have a lot of positive spin-off effects Mm -hmm. and then as we explored the story more and did research and interacted with people, um, then it became very clear that this story had a lot of uh, colonial and anti-colonial aspects to it, to do with indigenous communities all along the coast and to do with the structures that uh, the Canadian and US state have imposed on these communities and and the intergenerational effects of that. so yeah i think a lot of it kind of started to like unfold as we got on the ground like Mm -hmm. the the real impacts and how widespread they were and like what it actually looked like and that's really when when it all starts to make sense when you start to experience it for yourself and for us we're like okay how do we capture this how do we convey this message but you know i i think now that i'm reflecting like i didn't really know quite exactly what i was getting into when i first started that's for sure and where i am now is like yeah so I, I think we're also with our film too. We're we're trying to we're trying to do that too. You know, you come for for this for the issue presented sort of at face value, which is about the orcas, and you kind of where we take you might be a bit unexpected, and that was very reflective of like our own journeys, I think too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think especially with the southern residents, it there are species that are just connected to so many different aspects of their ecosystem and especially because they're a salmon eating population of whale that was just opened up a whole window I think for the story to explore other life that's connected to salmon and even animals on land which I think a lot of people especially watching the film wouldn't expect um, that part to uh, to all be tied in together so it's just I think it's a perfect example of like the film says co-extinction which unfortunately is occurring in so many other places across the world. So even though it's just one very specific issue, it has to do with, you know, a lot of other issues going on globally. Absolutely. And I definitely, when I saw it, and that's how I felt was that we we started with the orcas and we learned about so many other things. And obviously I'm somebody who is very interested and passionate in this issue. And like, I still learn things that I didn't know, like, especially about, um, like the indigenous rights and the way that salmon has kind of been taken away from a lot of indigenous communities and the importance of that. Um, So 
I'm curious as white storytellers, how do you walk the line of making sure that, you know, you're telling the story in a way that is from their perspective, not sharing that perspective, but also, you know, I mean, white people, those are the, you know, colonizers, like being descendants of the colonizers. Like, how do you walk the line of having the respect for that, but also making sure that you're accurately depicting their story and having it through their lens? I think that's a great question. I mean, that is, that is the, one of the biggest questions sort of of our time is like, how, how do we find ways to work together? How can we empower each other? How can we empower underrepresented voices? And I think like with, with our film, yeah, we, we, we really paid attention to making sure we had open communication with you know, all the characters presented in the film. You know, during the creation of the edit, while we were on the ground, you know, that there's a, you, I think like anywhere where you, you kind of show up somewhere and you go, you know, hi, like here we are, like let's, let's go out and do some stuff. There is some trust that needs to be built there. And I think that trust really happened from A, our like the compassion that we all shared for this place, but was B, like just being there, you know, actually showing up and actually putting ourselves out there together with, you know, the, the characters in our film to try and get this message out there. And I think that really built some trust. And, but there are lots of, there are lots of, uh, you know, questions around, yeah, who, who should be saying certain things, whose role is it to be the storyteller? And there's a lot of important work being done around empowering people to be the storytellers of their own stories. Uh, I think I think we managed to do a, a pretty good job, and I think a lot of the characters in our film were really happy with what with what we made. But you know, ultimately, this is about allyship. This is about us, you know, finding ways to work together to 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 get what needs to be said out there. And you know, in our film, we're never we're never speaking on behalf of anyone. We let the characters speak for themselves, and 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 what they have to say is is represented on screen. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's about allyship and, and you have to walk that line for sure. Yeah. And I would add that, you know, for this film, we were like scrambling from the start with a very small team and trying to do this without any funding or anything like that, really, like of significant amount. But for sure, for future projects, we would, if we're able to pay people, um, involve like more people from these communities in the work pre-production and onward in the film um, so that there's more integration of different perspectives and the end product ultimately is more reflective of, of uh, those perspectives. But that's hard to do if you don't have any money. Um, and I would just say that, yeah, if people are interested in like how you can do something like that, there's this organization called Imaginative and they have a document called on-screen protocols and pathways. And it's basically a document about uh, including, so a document about various things, but ranging from including indigenous perspectives in uh, film and, and production and stuff like that, but also uh, how to approach indigenous stories. And I think that a key thing for our film is that, you know, it is a film of allyship. It's not really like an indigenous uh, story in the same way that some other films are. Um, so that is good to keep in mind while watching it too, is that it is fundamentally like, you know, Gloria and Elena's journey as allies and interacting with all of these different communities who are sharing part of their story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Nice. Yeah. I think you guys definitely did a really good job of doing that. And like, I've heard feedback from like different videos that have been posted and at the film festivals that it seems like the people who you had in the film, like did feel comfortable with it. And I think that's definitely the most important thing. Um, so what recommendations do you have for people or tips for coming together and being good allies, not just for indigenous people, but any marginalized group when it comes to understanding environmental impacts? I think the most important thing is to just start by educating yourself and by actually showing up, whether that's in person or in whatever way you're capable. Um, but yeah, definitely taking the time to learn about the issue and do the research. And when you're, you know, educated and aware about what's going on, definitely like showing up for um, those communities. Yeah, yeah. I think that's Go ahead. A great, yeah, great point. You know, it's not the role of, you know, in this example, the indigenous communities on the coast to be like educating us on like the histories of like colonization, for example, like this is well understood knowledge. And like, if you are going into these communities, like it is your responsibility to, to have done some research and, and have an understanding about, you know, their position. And, and it's just really important. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just add that, like, I think it's essential that you may feel uncomfortable at times doing anything that is true allyship, but part of allyship is understanding that there will be uncomfortable situations that, you know, you should challenge yourself potentially to be involved in and to support uh, if that community is asking for your help in that way. Um, so obviously there are boundaries and limits to to that and you can explore that yourself but uh, i think that can be really important because if you're going to have real systemic change then the system that you're going to be involved in in the end ideally won't just be one where uh, white people are comfortable mm -hmm. and you know uh that's what we've been living in now where our mainstream society is very comfortable for white settlers um so yeah. yeah, the reality is that that can't, that's probably going to flip a bit at times. So. Yeah, I think that that's really important. And, um, you know, everybody should feel uncomfortable at some point, just because that's how you grow. That's how you learn. Like no one's going to feel comfortable all the time. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's important to kind of see it through that lens of like, it, the, you know, the script is going to flip a little bit and it kind of has to. And I think a lot of people are just like really uncomfortable with that. Um, or like it makes them feel like they're bad people or something like that, which is like not necessarily the case. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely important. So, um, you guys touched on like indigenous rights. You guys also got into the salmon, um, what did you guys learn about the salmon that maybe people might find surprising? I think the most incredible thing that I guess I always knew about salmon, but this film just really exposed me was just how intertied they are to an entire ecosystem and then multiple ecosystems even like past the coast. Like for example, when we were in Jackson <laughs> earlier this year, salmon run all the way into where we were driving into like Idaho, which was crazy, like hours and hours of driving and to think that salmon are still like part of that ecosystem. 
Um, that was one thing I think in the film that just blew my mind, um, just seeing how incredibly strong this species is and how like, when it, even when it comes to like ecosystem, when it comes to cultures and the people in those regions, everyone like salmon is life. <laughs> I had a really interesting, I actually don't think it made the final cut, but it's uh, Jim Waddell uh, with Damn Sense. He talks about sort of why the issue of salmon not returning, you know, past the four Lower Snake River dams. Spoiler, they don't let salmon return. It's pretty bad. Uh, is that it, it's, a, it's a biomass. It's like, and, and I think with the visuals too, we got some, we have some beautiful drone shots in the film where you sort of are looking down on rivers and you just see them chock full of salmon, how they're supposed to look, right? And I think that image just like blew my mind because it's like literally like mass, like the, like the sheer numbers of salmon that, that are, you know, supposed to be going through these rivers. And he talks about how literally that biomass of material, like if it doesn't go back to the, to the headwaters where the, where the salmon spawn, like that's like nutrients that are that are deprived from that environment and it, and you sort of are like oh yeah but then when you look at the images and you see how much like physical physical mass it moves up and down these rivers every year you can it starts to make more sense and and he says that you know like that's that is what you lose when when you dam the rivers is you, you lose that like recycling of, of nutrients into the environment and i think it it's really evident when you see it visually Definitely. Yeah, I like those shots were definitely super impactful. And I didn't realize like how many salmon there are supposed to be versus how many salmon there actually are. Like just visually, when you look at it from like a non-science standpoint, just like purely anecdotal, it's insane. Um, but yeah, the salmon, like it's it like that was one of the things that I found surprising, too, is how many species they impact and how far it goes. Like I would say that salmon is probably one of the most important species on the planet. It's like For sure. crazy. I remember Deborah Giles telling me that we find their DNA in trees because of when they die, the nutrients like go into the soil and up into the trees, which like, that's so crazy. Like how that's like, what? Um, also that's crazy. I wonder how like the, the DNA actually, is it the DNA that goes into the tree or is it like, I guess the nitrogen? Or something because i'd be curious how, the, how that honestly i don't know the process of how it works but like i remember her saying something about it ends up in the trees and i just was like yeah cow like that's insane i mean yeah. it makes sense like you know when you're trying to grow anything you for the most part do want like nutrient-rich soil and salmon is very nutritious so i mean it makes sense but i just didn't realize it was that like that it really was found inside the trees. Um, you can like tell by the like how thick a ring is for each year on like how big the salmon run was that year. I always thought that was like the craziest thing. Like you can go back and track like what years were good salmon years. That's amazing. Um, so obviously your film has a very like kind of heavy press on removing the dams. Um, and Governor Inslee has recently addressed that he is considering removing the dams. How, like, is everybody feeling about that? What are your thoughts? Do you think that he's actually going to do it? Um, I'm just curious to hear your guys' perspective. Well, I mean, I don't think this is the first time we've heard that. So, you know, I'm not, we're not safe yet. So we just got to keep on, keep on putting pressure on this guy and his government and with the Army Corps of Engineers who have the authority to remove these dams. So 
it's uh, it's not over yet, but that is encouraging for sure. Yeah, I think I'll I'll be excited when uh, actions start to actually the gears start actually moving. Um, it's great to hear that change is potentially coming, but yeah, until I think it actually is physically happening or there's an actual like plan established, um, that's when I'll start to celebrate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same for me. Yeah, that's totally fair. I feel like it's like, I've definitely talked about it a couple of times on the podcast. I feel like it's good to, for like a little nugget of hope of like, you know, for it's sure. not like he's totally ignoring it at this point, but I also feel you of like, Orca Task Force was like a thing, which ultimately was like a hot mess and a failure, like <laughs> in the end. Um, and so I'm like hoping that this is like, like something actually happens out of this. I mean, something has to happen eventually um so exactly. hopefully he'll do something and hopefully your guys's film will come out and then everyone can see it and then like yeah. i'm hoping that it kind of has the blackfish effect like you know when that movie came out and it really it really did impact how sea world and all of these other marine parks are operating at least in the united states um so what yeah. is the latest on like uh, do we have a distributor yet or are you guys still looking for a distributor and going to film festivals? I mean, we're, we're in chats. So there's some stuff potentially happening pretty soon. I, I think in the new year, we'll have some more concrete uh, answers, but no, like stuff, stuff's moving well. So very soon we hope to have this film out to the world. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for sure. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the timing of it too, like is, is really good because we're starting to see some movement. And like, also I think that people do need hope. So both Inslee saying that like, he's considering it. I mean, it, the probably people local in Washington, I'm sure that's been in the news. And so they are probably a little bit aware of the issue. And then also with the yeah. pregnant whales that we supposedly have, I think that's good too. More motivation yeah. to get it done. Mm -hmm. um so that is really exciting i think these like i think these they need to be framed in a new way right and uh, you know with we often frame these issues as like oh well if we get rid of these dams like look at all these things we're going to lose we're going to lose all of these all of this uh access or these jobs or we're going to lose this way of uh, uh, uh that we have traditionally done things and like we need to just start reframing these big tough questions into how does this benefit like all life on earth or how does this like bring everyone up right and like getting rid of these dams can actually you know not can help a lot a lot a lot of people in a lot of different ways and like that maybe we haven't thought of and like that's that's how we need to be reframing this so if Inslee is interested in like bringing this back up I think we need to be approaching these these questions differently because the, it seems like the the previous ways of you know, we're going to lose all this stuff and, and then our power grid is going to be totally destroyed and everyone's going to lose their job. It's like that. That's just not the case. These, this can have a positive impact, right? And we need to think about that, reframing these, these questions. Most definitely. I like, remember when I first started looking into this issue and I was like, okay, well, like, I can't just look at it from an environmental issue. So I want to understand the economics of it. And it's like, most of the economic reports are pretty much the same, except for the one that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers made. And I found it shocking that it was like estimated like $1.6 to keep the dams running annually and $1.8 to like remove them. 
And I think they estimated that it would be like almost four times the amount, like they would get, there would be so much revenue from taking them down that it could easily be pushed back into the communities. But I think this is ultimately a reflection of just like how our society values things. And like, ultimately, like we do need that systemic change. And like, I do have hope that once like our generation and younger generations get into office and are kind of in charge of the government system that we'll have a better future hopefully but I also fear that we don't have time well we obviously don't have time like with the southern residents for example um but I think ultimately we just like have to get people to to change what they value um and be okay with change because I think that's another thing it's just like people are uncomfortable with like you know oh like we're gonna have to it is a lot of work to like change the the grid system but ultimately like the energy being produced is a surplus and it goes down to LA and it causes brownouts in poor areas. So it's not even really good energy to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it there. We need to just reframe how, like what is possible. Think of the future in a bit of a different way. Think about it. And yeah, like, and, and actually, and actually move forward on it, like, and not, not have like, I mean, it, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things that play into this <laughs> in mm-hmm. terms of like how we elect, how our governments work, you know, who's in power, but yeah. We yeah. To- I think more and more, uh, more people are palatable to the idea that, you know, there will be some complete systems overhaul and some sort of revolution. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, this Western capitalist framework that we're in now has only really been around in its sort of modern form for maybe 150 years um so it's not it's not not really uh doesn't really have a good track record destroying the entire planet in 150 (laughs) years uh so i feel like yeah i think more and more people are open to the idea that maybe we it's not just like we need to get this party into power or something but maybe we need to do what many people have done in the past and 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 are still doing in various places and like have a a total revolution um but that can be hard with the the comfort that a lot of people are living in in our society and um so yeah yeah i think so i mean it definitely is i think probably scary for people to think like okay what would it take to have a revolution to like bring down the system and create a better system and like obviously the way that we live would change and our money systems potentially would change um and like you know it's easy to definitely just get kind of caught up in it and I feel like a lot of people are kind of just like a cog in this capitalistic society of just like okay let me just go to work and make my hourly pay so I can pay my rent and like not a ton of people have money left over and so it's like I think hard for people to try to overthrow a system when they're already maybe in a survival based like standpoint but ultimately like that shows that it's not working you know um, it works for people on top and, but that's about it you know but is it really working if you're destroying the planet that you live on that's the thing I'll never understand is like the people who are just billionaires or like you know even not billionaires but people who just like won't, don't really consider the planet and don't think that we need the planet like I don't know 
how you like, I mean, if we destroy everything, how are you going to live? Like realistically, you know, you can't survive without like bees or food or like clean water. Like, I don't know. It's just the logic I'll never understand. Mm -hmm. Agreed. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Um, so what have you guys learned from this process with the Southern residents and the salmon and everything? And like, how has that impacted the way that you're going to approach other environmental issues? Because obviously you guys have big important things to do with your lives and this is not gonna be the only issue that you look at. I think even just backpacking off of what we were just talking about, about, you know, this, that these issues are complicated. There are like system level you know, questions and, and solutions, hopefully, that we need to address. And I think we need to tell stories that appeal to both sides of this sort of argument or the people who are affected on both sides, you know, people that, may that might lose their jobs, right? People that might have to drastically change elements of their lives in order to, like, kind of grapple with the realities that are in front of us. I think, like, I, this project has really showed me the nuances of these complicated issues, you know, that we need to address and that we need to make films that, you know, aren't just preaching to the choir, but that can bring more people into the conversation that, and, and inspire people to think about their own lives and what they can do in their own lives and what they have agency in, in their own lives and, and maybe how they can start to make that change. Because yeah, you know, we need to have these like top down and also like massive restructuring, but like we can all start to, to do things differently in our lives. We can have these, these kinds of conversations more. And I think a lot of people actually relate in more ways than they're different. And more, a lot of people want a good quality of life. They want like, you know, a nice, you know, stable existence and, and shelter, you know, all these like basic things. I think we need to make films that really appeal to broad audiences that bring more people into these complex conversations so that we can come up with uh, solutions together, right? Ultimately solutions that will better all of our lives. Um, so yeah, Co-Extinction really showed me, I mean, this is, the film was about how interconnected everything is. And so I think those interconnected, you know, the solutions are also just as interconnected. So we need everyone to, to be part of these solutions, yeah. Absolutely. What about uh, you guys? What do you think you learned and will carry on into the future? Yeah, I think it's, we have such a responsibility as storytellers. Uh, I want to piggyback off kind of what Nick was saying as storytellers to tell like the whole story to help the audience see the big picture. And I think um, especially like no matter where the viewer is coming from um, to be able to feel like there's something that they can do to create change because yeah, no matter uh, what side of the story you're on, no matter, you know, why you originally wanted to see the film. Um, I think there's action that every single person can take to make a difference in a positive way. And I think, yeah, that's been just the, the greatest part of being able to tell this story is hopefully uh, to be able to inspire a lot of people to want to create change, positive change. Yeah, I think what Nick and Tori both said is great. Um, so I'd say those things as well for me, but also I feel like a big learning has been about um, about impact and 
how you can effectively use a media piece to make impact. And we're sort of just getting toward executing on that. But I think for future projects and issues, it would be more from the start, really making sure that everything your research is focused on, what is the most effective way um, to address this issue or what is in a way that's going to make a positive impact for addressing this issue. It doesn't have to be like comprehensively, you're going to address everything, but um, what is an effective approach that's going to actually solve a problem and then trying to design your media around that to actually engage the right people who need to be involved in that approach and um, make sure that those are the people who you're really attracting. And it doesn't always have to be a lot of people, you know, very, a small amount of people can in certain circumstances, depending on the issue, make a really big impact. So it's just about evaluating what is needed for this situation and what, um, yeah, what way can we engage people to actually solve uh, that problem through that approach. Absolutely. I think that that's definitely really important. Obviously, like we've seen throughout history that, um, you know, a lot of times people don't do the research and then they, you know, end up making things worse or, you know, there's tons of documentaries out there that maybe don't, um, totally think things through about the negative impacts that it might have on, you know, the communities of people. Like, I mean, we saw like with Seaspiracy that everybody went and like hated fishermen and it's like, that's not the goal of not helpful. Um, no, I think all of those things are really important. Um, so what pieces of advice do you have for um, people who wanna help the Southern residents or learn more about how the indigenous groups around them have been impacted by these issues? Uh, well, we're uh, building some resources on our website. You can check out coextinctionfilm.com slash action. Uh, if you wanna learn specifically about the nations that were involved in co-extinction. But yeah, I would, I, in, in general, I would, I would uh, advocate talk about, uh, donate, and give your time to uh, Indigenous nations uh, fighting for sovereignty over their, on their traditional and rightful lands, specifically as it relates to salmon uh, and their, their um, stewardship of the lands and waters that, that take care of and support salmon habitat, because it's, uh, they, there is a lot of research that shows that these are sustainable and you know they, they've been around for thousands of years before contact so you know indigenous people have wisdom they have knowledge they have understanding of how salmon are interconnected in the environment and they have a lot of uh, solutions and ways of yeah stewardship to protect these animals so definitely supporting them yeah I will just note that our website is uh, still being developed so there's probably some things that are you know it's not like we're putting you in the wrong direction but for example I just looked at our take action indigenous rights sovereignty and stewardship section which would be on this focus and in the awareness section which has different sort of people that you could be following to learn more it doesn't have the correct organization so just uh, note that this website is still developing and that uh, hopefully you know 
when this by well for sure by the time that this is being like fully released our film is being fully released uh there will be good actions there yeah and i think that's also um for our plan for the take action i think once the film is out once people get to see it that's the coolest part about this section of the website is that you know you can take the issues that most inspired you and you can you know there's tears to it so you can decide how you know how much time in your life do you have to take action and it can be kind of a goal for you to build up towards bigger actions and you know you can piggyback into different issues so I think it's a really cool opportunity for people to kind of take what they will from the story and you know create whatever action they'd like to in their daily lives which is what I think everyone should be working towards. Absolutely and everybody can do something so that's I think really important it doesn't like you don't have to go and you know make a film or go protest every day but like there are little actions that people can take in their daily life that will ultimately make a difference and I think that's something really important to remember because I think a lot of people think that they you know can't make a change but ultimately like your actions currently are supporting the current system so if you just change them or like the current issues then even if it is a small change a bunch of small changes can eventually lead to something bigger Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys being here. I'm super excited for your film to come out. Um, Do you have any final thoughts or any last things that you would want our listeners to know? Get stoked. (laughs) Now is the time to be alive. These, these are like crazy issues. The world seems to be like falling apart, but like, we're still here. We're still breathing. Still got two feet and heartbeat. And we're like, we're, we're, we're trying to make a difference. And like, and like you said, you know, it, as we all talk about this, as we all like try to make that change in our own lives, like these conversations, they're part of something, right? They're not just like dissolving into the nothing. Like the, right. w- this is like, people are talking more about this stuff. You know, it's going to be hard to go back and where we're not talking about, you know, the climate, we're not talking about indigenous rights. Like these things are just so interconnected with, with the, with all of these issues, like with, with the problems that we see, they're all inter- interconnected. So, you know, I think the only way forward is as we're doing and just keep having these conversations. I think it's important. Absolutely. Yeah, and I just um, also wanna say thank you, Erica. You've been such an amazing supporter and friend throughout all of this. And I think you're like the perfect example of someone showing up and putting the work in and creating change. So thank you. Thanks, so sweet. Awesome. Well, um, we will stay tuned for when your film is released, which sounds like it could be soon, um, which is awesome. Um, But thank you guys for the work that you're doing. I'm really excited for people to see your film and we appreciate you sharing your perspectives and letting us learn from you guys, because a lot of these, I think these are questions that a lot of people have, especially when it comes to how do we talk with our fellow like people that live here, indigenous people and have those conversations. Well, thanks so much for being here. And I hope everybody has a great week.